Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host, my name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Reminders of Grace podcast. Last episode, we started a discussion about an important topic. We started talking about identity, our identity. And in it, we said that in a time when our very identity is under attack and the value of our identity is under attack, it's vital that we know how to answer the question of who am I? On this episode, we will reference some things that were mentioned in that episode, so if you are just joining us or you have not had the opportunity to engage with that episode, I want to encourage you to do so as you are able, as I believe that it will help to understand the framework with which we are building this episode upon. One of our very first episodes on the podcast as a whole was entitled, Who is Jesus? And that was by design. Because in order for us to really understand who we are as we discovered last episode, we need to first and foremost know who Jesus is. The reason for that being that our identity is inherently attached to him as the all-powerful creator of all things. These episodes are not intended to be a defense against or an attack on a specific political leaning or a personal preference. This is intended to help us establish some truth about who we are. In doing that, we'll be able to better appreciate the grace that we've been given and better understand the grace that we need to give. Our identity, it matters. Without structure, it can and has already in many instances become just a fluid concept. But when it's fluid, it loses its value. We are and can be whatever we want to or feel like being. Identity is not some sort of ancient, outdated construct. It's not about specific normatives being toppled down. Jesus created us. And as the creator, he and he alone gets to dictate the purpose of his creation. It's not up to me. It's not up to you or any other human being, social organization, agency or movement he told me and he tells me who i am and though that flies in the face of everything that this world tells you and though it stands in contrast to our independence driven ideology the truth remains i am who he says i am we spoke into two creator designed identities for our life The first being that we were created to worship him. The second that we were created for relationship with him. We are worshipers and we are relators. But knowing that can only take us so far. Now this is the point where I make it an important distinction. And I wish to do so in the same way as before. Where we are about to head next is primarily and almost exclusively for Christians, for followers of Jesus. But if, again, you have chosen to join us on this episode, and you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, 
maybe you're seeking. You may even be skeptical or cynical of this whole Christianity thing. Would you do me a favor and listen to the remainder of this episode and maybe let that longing to learn more about what it would mean to have a relationship with Jesus. Let that longing stir up in you. Because this is not where we emphatically draw battle lines and aggressively separate because of differences. This is where we lovingly and graciously lean in seeking to understand. I cannot overstate this. There is an instinctive and intrinsic value, nobility, and respect attached to all humans that only exists because Jesus made it that way. So not being a Christian does not mean for a single moment that you lack value or worth. It's just that that value and worth is tied to the Creator. Well, on this part two of our identity crisis look, we are going to dive in and examine why does it matter. In other words, if we set right who we are, if we set our identity right, why does that even matter? What are the effects? What are the repercussions? What are the consequences of getting our identity right? And we're going to examine five of them, and we'll say it like this. Getting my identity right means that I can. Getting my identity right means that I can connect with God correctly. Or I can connect with God appropriately. Because our identity is connected instinctively and inherently to God, then it would just make sense that getting it right means that we can connect with him right as well. So let me share something humble, open, and transparent moment when I get my identity wrong. In other words, in a day-to-day sense, when I'm not living in the identity that God has declared of me, for me, and in me, I struggle to connect with God. And I think if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about because you've maybe been there too. And if you haven't, give me a call because I need your help. But here's a few ways for me, personally speaking, that I'm not living in that right identity. And then I want to point out something really important about these things. One of the things is that I am a perfectionist. Now, I can mask it as I'm just type A or I have OCD, which I understand is a real thing, but that's just not me. I am a perfectionist. If I can't do it and be great at it and get it perfect the first time, I don't want to do it. It can make me difficult to work with or play a game with. It can make me discouraging sometimes to even be around. Mistakes for me are not my friend. My very gracious, loving, and patient wife would tell you that being wrong is not something that I live in well. I'm a perfectionist, but also I'm a hyper-analytic. In other words, I literally live in my head. I talk to myself, which self-justifiably isn't a bad thing but I'll have both sides of a hypothetical conversation. I'll answer different ways. It's a little bit like, you remember that Pixar short of the older man sitting in the park playing chess by himself against himself? It's a lot like that. You know which person it would be hard for you to anticipate an unknown next move for? You. Being in my head keeps me out of the real world sometimes, and I wrestle with things that I have no business touching. And more than that, it keeps me from relating to and ascribing worth to God in the way that I should. 
And also, I am extremely difficult to forgive. Now, I don't mean for you to forgive me. And I certainly don't mean for me to forgive you. I'm not perfect at it, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is I am extremely difficult to forgive myself. There are times when I dwell in guilt, in toxic shame, and in self-judgment. By no means is any of this a self-degradating or uh, a self-aggrandizing statement because I certainly have more than these. But I share these because primarily I want to be real with you, but also maybe you can relate to this or you have some of your own that you're thinking of in this moment. Here's something really important, though. Something very important about all of these and whichever ones that you can think of. They all force me, they all force us to unjustly make and take a throne of my own design. Because I'm not perfect, I feel like I have nothing. Because I can't figure it out, I feel like I know nothing. Because I messed up, I feel like I am nothing. And all of that puts me in control of my identity. And it keeps me from seeing that in Jesus, I have everything, so what else is there? That Jesus, because he knows everything, I don't need to. That Jesus forgave me of everything, past, present, and future, so I can let go of anything. Getting my identity right means that I understand that I'm not viewed as a slave, I'm seen as his child. If I see it as enslaved, I'll live in fear of not being, of not knowing, of not doing enough. But as his child, he is enough, so I am as well. Getting our identity right means that I can obey immediately. Now, I may have just said some words that set awkwardly with you, so let me explain. This is not about what should I do to be something. We talked about that flow last episode, father, identity, activity. What we do comes last. So hear me. This is about what should I do with and as a result of who I am. Getting my identity right helps me to do what God has called me to do and to do it with urgency of time and effort. And so here's some examples of this. Jesus himself. When he was tempted by the devil in the desert in Matthew's account of his life, he tells how he meets the devil alone in this deserted place and he is tempted three times. He's tempted with appetite. Having not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, The devil says to him, command that these stones be turned to bread. And then he's tempted with approval. He says, if you are who you say you are, if you are truly the son of God, throw yourself off this cliff and the angels will come and save you before you hit the bottom. And then he's tempted with ambition. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all the power. I'll give you all authority over the world if you just bow down and worship me. Now, Jesus was able to say no to these temptations because he is God. But along with that, there's a verse in the previous section that indicates that his identity was right, which helped him also say no to these things. He gets baptized by John and the heavens opened and the Father speaks and then the Spirit descends in the form of a dove and here's what is said. 
this, speaking of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, if that's not an identity for you, this statement straight from the voice of the father would be echoed again by the father on a mountain prior to Jesus's death on the cross. Jesus was so set in his identity that he is the beloved son of the father that that foundation set him to follow in obedience and really even follow all the way faithfully through the plan for him to give his life on the cross. Then there's Isaiah. Isaiah is this older prophet to the nation of Judah, and he has this very surreal and vivid experience where he catches a glimpse of the glory and beauty and majesty of God sitting on his throne, and he hears the angels surrounding the throne crying out, Holy, holy, holy. And in seeing the greatness of God, he's faced with the smallness of himself, and he realized that he's nothing in comparison. He acknowledges his faults. And in this, one of the angels comes to him and places a live coal on his lips and says, With this, your guilt is taken away and your sin is purged. So God in that moment has addressed his past, his faults, his guilt that Isaiah was carrying, and his identity is established new in that moment. The reason that that is important is because then in the following verses, as God speaks and he says, I have this job, but who will I send? Who is going to carry this out for us from that new identity? Isaiah was able to say, here am I, send me. He was able to obey immediately. There's Jeremiah the prophet. He's this another prophet in the Old Testament. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5, a verse often used to defend for the sanctity of life. Here's what happened. God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet. I ordained you to be my mouthpiece to the nations. And then here's what Jeremiah's response was. Lord God, truly, I cannot speak. God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Here's why. Because I'm a youth, because I'm too young. But the Lord responded, do not say I am a youth. You will go wherever I send you and whatever I command you, you are going to speak. In other words, just stop that. You will go where I tell you to go. You will do what I say. And the reason why I'm telling you this is I'm adding on that you will be successful in it. You will do it. The Lord continues and he says, do not be afraid. And so he's adding this affirmation to it. Do not be afraid for I will be with you. And then to seal it, the Lord puts forward his hand and he touched Jeremiah's mouth and he said, now I have put my words in your mouth. Who Jeremiah was, who God declared him to be even before he was born. Once he got that settled, once God spoke over all of his insecurities, he was able to do what God called him to do. And then there's Moses. Moses finds himself in the desert, and it's there that he meets with God. God says to Moses, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses missed that command altogether because all he could think about were his insecurities, and we know that because of what Moses said next. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
Well, God had already made it clear. I'm sending you and you are going to do this and you're going to do it successfully. You are going to follow me and fulfill what I'm asking you to do. And Moses gives him reasons why he can't go. I'm not worthy to lead your people. I'm not worthy to stand before Pharaoh. And so then God responds, certainly I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. Here's how I'm going to prove that this is what I want you to do. When you have done this, not if, but when you have brought the people out of Egypt, all of you will come right back to this very same mountain. And in that, God is providing that affirmation. I already told you that you will do this. And to give you a sign since me telling you wasn't enough, you will come right back to this place and worship me with all of the people behind you. So then Moses says, okay, so what's your name? If I go and I tell them and they ask, who are you? What God are you talking about? What should I tell them? And God tells him, I am. That's my name. The self-existent one. That's my name. Tell them that. So here's my name. And then even further along this back and forth, here are some signs and some miracles that you can do to prove that I sent you just in case anybody wants to still continue to doubt that I sent you. Here's some other things that you can show them that you could not do if it wasn't me who sent you. And then if that wasn't enough, which for Moses, it wasn't. He says, Lord, I'm not eloquent enough. I don't speak well. I never have. And God says, okay, so Aaron is your brother. You can go with him and he can speak for you. And then Moses still had a problem. And God was fed up. It says in the Bible that the anger of the Lord was inflamed against Moses. God said, who made man's mouth? Who made the mute or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now go and I will be with you. Moses' identity was so fractured and broken. It was so wrapped up in himself that he fought God and would not do what God said that he specifically chose Moses to do. Now, before we hate on Moses, let's not pretend like we're all that different. It's why we need a right identity and it's why we need to even more importantly live in that identity. Not in our past failures, our mistakes, our shames, not in our insecurities of inadequacy and incapability, but in the identity that the creator has designed us for. So getting it right means that we obey immediately. And getting it right means that I can be generously gracious and lavishly loving. I heard a quote. We tend to live stingy. Because we think we live in scarcity. Here's the deal with that. When we are abundantly blessed and we are living out of the overflow of God's goodness, which we mentioned on our very first episode that we most certainly are, even if we don't notice it, even if we don't appreciate it, even if we do nothing with it, we are living out of the overflow of God's goodness and grace. David said it like this in a well-known psalm, my cup runs over. Jesus would describe it as this, as a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's not spoons or spades. That's a dump truck, packed airtight, 
shaken together, packed in some more, and then ever-presently running over. Not trickling out the top like a drinking fountain, but running over like Niagara Falls. That's the picture. When we understand that that's us, that that's who we are in Christ, that that's what our identity is, and we won't be hesitant to extend grace. We won't be careful to share love. And so I'm going to share something with you. It'll sound interesting and maybe a little off at first, but I'll explain it. And if you sit with it, it hopefully will make a little bit more sense. No one has earned your love, but every single person deserves it. When we live in the reality that we did not earn God's love and we did not deserve it. Not only did we not earn it, we also did not deserve it, but he still gave it anyway. It should make it that much easier for us to love other people. Not because they earned it, but they deserve it. And here's why they deserve it. They deserve it always, only, and exclusively because we got it. Because God loved us, there is a world of his image bearers that deserves to be loved as well. They deserve to experience the same love of God. When we think that God's love, though, may run out, that it has limits in our lives, that his goodness and grace to us may dry up, we think that God is maybe right on the edge of not loving us anymore because of something we did, because of something we said, because of someone that we believe ourselves to be, that's when we refuse to give grace generously. And that's when we refuse to love lavishly. But getting my identity right also means that I can forgive. Now, this is something that in the future we should devote an episode, an entire episode to. But for now, when we understand how much God has forgiven us, when we really live in that reality, it'll change how we forgive others when we are slighted. Now, we will dive, again, deeper into this, as I mentioned, in the future, but this is in no way, shape, or form an excusing of what was done to you. This is not a dismissal of the hurt that you may have or even still do feel. It's not an ignoring of the scars that you may still carry. But when we truly are transparent and genuine about the size of the debt that we have been forgiven by God, not compared to our neighbors, not compared to classmates, not compared to other family members or friends, but in light of a holy God with a perfect sinless record, when we live in and walk in that forgiveness, friend, that really helps us to forgive others. But when we refuse, I didn't say when it's hard. I'm not saying when it feels unfair, but when we refuse to forgive, it is a blatant indication that we are not living in the identity that God has given us. Getting my identity right also means that I can live abundantly. The gospel writer John said of Jesus that Jesus came so that we could have life in his name. That believing in him, we could have life in his name. And that was an echo of something that Jesus had already said. That he had come to give life and to give life more abundantly. This type of abundant living is not this perfect health and vast wealth concept. It's the reality that we have a God that operates out of the extra, 
not the adequate. Now, I know I may have come at you with a little bit more today than usual, but there's so much here. I care so much about this because our identity is the foundation on which we build. Knowing who Jesus is, knowing who we are as he intended, and living in the effects of that, that's what this is about. But that foundation has to be right. It has to be right from the beginning. Otherwise, these last 25 minutes, they mean nothing to you. Here's another reason why it matters. Jesus one day tells this story of two builders. He said that one of the builders went out to build a house. And when it was completed, a storm rolled through. It was real bad. Rain, flood, and extremely high winds. It beat on the house. And here's what Jesus said. It didn't move. And he tells us why. Because its foundation was on a rock. But then he tells us about the other builder. That he also went out to build a house. And when it was completed, a storm rolled through. It was real bad. Rain, flood, extremely high winds. It beat on the house. And here's what Jesus said. It fell. And the fall of it was great. Why? What was the difference? Because its foundation, he said, was on the sand. Here's some important takeaways from that. It doesn't tell you what the homes look like. It doesn't tell you how experienced the builders were. It doesn't tell you if the vibe was modern or traditional. It doesn't tell you if it was boho or tract style. It doesn't indicate that the storms were more or less severe for the one or the other. Friends, if you've gotten nothing, though I sure hope you have, get this. It's not about where you come from or how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter what your worship experience preferences are. It's not a matter of if a storm will come in your life. It's about this fact. When it does, will you stand or will you fall? Because it's all about the foundation. And for our identity, when storms come, when things attack it, it's all about the foundation, knowing who Jesus is, knowing who you are in him, and then living out that identity. If you'd not consider yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian as you've listened, maybe you have questions. Or you have comments or concerns or criticisms. That's an okay and sometimes it's a good place to be you have an opinion on what you've heard. I want to encourage you to reach out. In just a moment, I'll let you know some ways that you can do that. Know that this is a place where you will be loved and you will find grace for wherever you are in life. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell me about it. There are a few ways that you can connect with me. By email at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. In addition, you can find a link to my socials in the info section of this episode. Also, if you could please do me a favor and be sure to leave a review, 
and then click on that subscribe or follow button wherever you engage with the podcast to be certain that you never miss an episode. Well, as you head into your week, as you navigate through your journey, as you face whatever you face, or as you seek to live on mission, be reminded of his grace and know that no matter what, it is always, every single time, greater stuff.